It's that time of the week again. It's that time when the latest episode of Digital Kill the Radio Star drops. Drop! It's time to waste another hour or so with David and Chris as they spout out more of their worthless music knowledge. It's time to hear them discuss the music of their youth. As well as the music of today. So kick back, relax, and have some fun with David and Chris. Digital Kill the Radio Star starts right now. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Digital Kill the Radio Star podcast. This is David. I'm here with my buddy Chris. Uh, we're recording this on Tuesday night before Thanksgiving. We hope everybody has a uh, happy Thanksgiving and uh, gets plenty to eat with their family uh, Thursday and enjoy some good football. I do want to tell you before we get started to follow us on Twitter at Digital Killed, like our Facebook page, and like our Instagram page, Digital Killed the Radio Star Podcast, and also uh, follow us on Stitcher, SoundCloud, uh, Apple Podcast and Podchaser, and if you get a chance, leave us a review and let me know you le- left us a review and put a little something in the mail for you. So, Chris, how are you doing? It's been a while. Yeah, it has. I'm good. I'm just, uh, I'm ready for, forget Thanksgiving, I'm ready for Saints versus the Falcons, and I'm ready for a day off and time to ride my motorcycle, so... Oh man, that's yeah, going to be more a, day of work to go. That Saints Falcons game is going to be great. I, um, they're just basically ter- have turned into Alabama the NFL this year. Yeah, it's crazy, you know. But then, but now all the hype, all, everybody's like, "Oh, Chiefs, Chiefs, Rams." We, I want a repeat of that. Um, yeah, neither one of them played defense, so the Saints. I mean, the Saints have already beat the Rams. Come on. Yeah, I they're think... getting all the attention. I mean. Oh God! I know this isn't a football podcast, but it just kills me too. All the lack of respect that Breeze gets. People are still talking about. I saw today Breeze like number five in Pro Bowl voting. Pro Pro Bowl voting. Saw somebody saying how he still Mahomes still has an excellent shot at winning MVP. It's like, dude, what is this guy? What did he do to y'all? He's just not tall, Chris. He's just not tall. Well, I think that is part of it. That he's not the. He doesn't have the stereotypical, you know, proto the prototype. Size. He doesn't have that rocket arm, and he plays in New Orleans, which was Saints were just a history of losing until he got there, and it's a small market. Fun place to go, though. Fun place to go. Indeed. Um, well, Chris, since you and I have uh, last talked, uh, I went to see the uh, Queen movie, Bohemian Rhapsody. Have you seen it by chance? No. It's a... Uh, it's really, really good. It was very well done. I know there's some problems with um, timeline on some things. For instance, uh, they never broke up. Uh, he didn't know he had AIDS uh, when they did the live aid performance. But uh, it, it was it was really, really good. And there's for this doesn't spoil the plot or anything. But there's a really funny part where 
uh, Mike Myers is pay, is playing their manager, but you can't tell it's Mike Myers really. He's you know all made up, and they've recorded the album uh, "A Night at the Opera," and so they're in this room and uh, they he they say what's going to be the single, and so they say Bohemian Rhapsody, and he's like, no, it's not going to be the single. He goes, it makes no sense. He's like, scatomoosh, scatomoosh. What does that mean? And he's like, it's six minutes long. It's three minutes and out on a, uh, the radio. And he's saying he wanted to do, he thought the single could be I Love My Car. And he's like, it's not like in 20 years people are going to be headbanging in a car to Bohemian Rhapsody, which is an obvious. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah Wayne's World. Yeah, obvious Wayne, Wayne's World uh, reference. But uh, the final 20 minutes of it, uh, it's worth it just to go for the final 20 minutes of it. And you forget just how many how many just hits they had and a very eclectic group of hits. You got everything from, you know, fat bottom girls to radio Gaga, which, you know, are, are completely different songs. But if anybody out there wants to go see it, I highly recommend it. Uh, it's not as good as a star is born, uh, but it's, uh, it's pretty close. And um, the soundtrack to it obviously is great. Are you a big queen fan? I don't know if I've ever even heard you mention them before. No, I mean, they, they don't, I don't dislike them, but they're they're just not on the radar much, you know. Well, they um, it, it's amazing how talented uh, Freddie Mercury is. And then the uh, last thing um, that I actually I started listening to it today because of Dean Del Rey's uh, "Let There Be Talk" podcast. It's a band out of um, England. You may have heard of them, Chris, called the Temperance Movement. Have you heard of them? Mm-hmm. Uh, really good uh, band, like I said, out of England. Um, kind of have a, I don't know, kind of a garage band sound to them. But anyway, uh, it got turned on to them because uh, Dean interviewed their uh, lead singer, and uh, it was really, really good. So I'm kind of anxious to hear your response. You told me before you came on the air that you had the most eclectic group of music recommendations that you've ever had, which that's setting the bar kind of high. Well, the reason I say that is, I mean, I've come up with some crazy stuff on here uh, to people that, I guess have a little bit more tame music preference. Um, so that that the what I'm naming is not that unusual. It's just the fact that the three that I'm naming all together. So, but it's the three it's three things that I'm really into right now, and that's what we do. That's what we talk about. So, first one, the new Gregory Allen Isakoff. I told you about this record called Evening Machines. Um, this guy is just great. Uh, he uh, he's actually even though he's one of those guys that nobody's heard of, but he's huge. Uh, you know, cause I've looked at it. I was trying to see if he's playing anywhere near and, you know, it looked like nearly half of the shows were sold out. You know, so he, he does very well. He just doesn't, nobody really hears of him. Um, my cousin turned me onto this guy with the, that last record he did. It's been several years now, but, uh, this album's really, really good. It's, uh, I told you, David, I think it's he's kind of, he doesn't like do the rocking type stuff, but I would think more of the slower, like, you know, um, Ron Adams, you know, kind of, kind of in that vein. It's just singer songwriter. Well, he had the, he had the song on the ending of the, uh, the Netflix movie, the uh, show, the haunting of Hill house. And honestly thought it was Ryan Adams. Like I looked at my wife and I'm like, this is a new Ryan Adams song. And I immediately went online trying to figure out if that was really him. Yeah, and that was on his last record, and that that uh, that to me was one of the most well placed 
songs in, in film I've heard, or I've heard a lot TV. of people. I've heard a lot of people say that. It, it just was amazing. Um, so that's the that's the first first thing I got. Second um, is I got in last Friday came in, got the Amana Marth, the Pursuit of Vikings. This is the Blu-ray documentary. It has it's a documentary and it's got two full sets at the, at the Summer, Bree, Summer Breeze Festival they did, back-to-back nights. It is, man, I know these guys aren't for everybody, but the sound is so good. The It's so well shot. Just the crowd, everything, man. It's just a beautiful Blu-ray of a live performance. And um, you know I talk about these guys. This is one of my favorite modern metal bands out there. And for people, if you haven't heard of them, they are they are a death metal band, um, referred to as Viking metal because it's all Viking-themed. And it is, yes, it is death metal, but it's it's not in the, it's not the typical lyrical content because it's about Vikings, and it is um, super super melodic. It's heavy, but it's some of the more melodic metal you'll hear. Um, do they sit down and row? On the uh, first show, they do. Yes, <laughs> they do. Uh, just uh, and they raise the horns. You know, they have the horns they drink out of and do a toast to the crowd, but yeah, in the first show, they've got the cool, you know, Viking ship on the, on the stage that they all take, you know, they have steps on the side of it and they'll, they'll walk up and down. It's very, very cool. Um, I mean, these guys are just, it's in Germany. These guys are just huge, huge overseas. Um, and then the last one I have, I have not finished this, but I started the Beastie Boys book and I, to me, it is the best hooking music book I've ever had my hands on. It's nearly 600 pages, and probably half of it is pictures. And these are pictures all from when they're teenagers, you know, till you know, the end of the Beastie Boys. Um, and the stories are great. And that's what it is. It's, it's almost in the vein of, and that, of, say, The Dirt, where it's just, it's really just kind of, it's uh, really Horvitz and uh, Michael Diamond just kind of going back and forth. And some of the stories, and as a music fan, I would encourage this, especially if you're ever into the Beastie Boys. And I'll give you one little taste of this, of how this book, if you're a music fan, can kind of connect with you. Uh, as if just being a fan of the Beastie Boys wasn't enough. But Horvitz is talking about the, um, you know, he's talking about the, which we've talked about before, and we plan on talking about this in the future again, uh, the way music is now. And he's talking about, you know, people are talking about this, you know, vinyl and cassettes and all that. It's like, man, you guys are crazy. He's like, digital. It's awesome. He's like, I really, he said, yeah, it may not sound as well, so what? And he was talking about how he'd have to pack in eight cassettes, two in the back pockets, two in the front pockets, couldn't even have cases with them. He starts getting into all the details about, you had to design the actual cassette tape. You designed the cover. Just this whole art and the type of stuff that I love to do, as you know, as a kid. And even talks about, you know, when the stuff that we all knew about punching those tabs out. When you know, if you buy a tape and it's punched out, you can't record over it. You got to put the tape over it. And he's talking about that. He's talking about using a pencil and 
rolling the tape up. And he said he kept a kit with it, his own little kit on the road with him. He had a, uh, like a little kind of like Swiss Army knife that he could use when the when the tape broke. He had that and tape to where in and um, a pencil, and he always kept it on the road with him for his tapes. So just one little cool story from a you know, from a tr- obviously a true music fan reading about a true music fan growing up and not having the ease that we had. You know, we didn't have the ease back then, and it's just I, I cannot record. I can't put it down. You were telling me it's really thick, isn't it? Yeah, the pages are thick. Um, so it's yeah, it's heavy too. I mean, it's it's six hundred pages, man. It probably looks like it's eight hundred pages. Um, thick pages, just well put together. It, if you like the Beastie Boys, you know somebody likes the Beastie Boys. If you know somebody that likes them, I, you heard it here. There's your Christmas gift. It's thirty bucks, and it'll be maybe the best gift they get at Christmas. Do you plan on reading the Jeff Tweedy book? Yeah, I'll eventually get to it. Yeah, I got it. Uh, I think I'm saving it to read it in January. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, that Beastie Boys book's gotten a lot of good press. It's awesome, man. It is awesome. All right, Chris. So uh, you came up with our um, uh, subject matter this week. Uh, We're just going to talk a little bit about uh, bands that uh, maybe weren't all that successful, but their musical legacy lives on with other bands that they have uh, inspired. And um, you suggested this one. I thought it would be a fun one because... Uh, I think we're, we're both gonna say on our um, 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 some of our choices. Success is little success that's uh, subjective, which I think will make for some good con- uh, conversation. So, uh, yeah, this is one you've actually wanted to really do this one. I think since we started about doing a podcast. Yeah, and it's you know it's pretty safe to say that mine. You know, like I said, the. the Mine, for the most part, and I guess some people would argue maybe there's been a little bit of success, some success, but for the most part, the people that I'm naming, they didn't sell records. Right. You know? So it's just, uh, but they're, I just feel like their their impact was huge. They didn't sell a ton. A ton of people. Well, I thought it was funny when I posted we were kind of we we're going to do something about this on social media. Somebody, which you don't have the misfits on your list, which actually surprised me, but somebody posted, yeah, the misfits. Well, I, I do want to I do want to talk about them because of that, because obviously if somebody thought enough to put them on there. Well, they, then they, I'll kind of explain my reasoning. Well, they yeah. were they were saying like the misfits sold more T-shirts than they have records. Uh, yeah, which I thought, and, was and that's a, that is a good example just because of the brand alone, right? You know, and so I guess, I guess if we're getting started, man, let's just yeah. go ahead and we're on the Misfits. Let's do it now. You know, because I did want to bring them up, even though I said they weren't initially, because I was trying to trim it down to about five, mm-hmm. but you know, five, six, seven. I mean, it, this is, this will go quick. We don't have a whole lot of stuff to say about them, but the Misfits. So my reasoning behind it was just, I guess, because I did it, it, It's, I know they didn't have a ton of success, but I sometimes I wonder, and, I, and this is coming from a Misfits fan. I don't know if their impact as far as influencing sound was as big as some of the other bands. Uh, I, I think that they clearly, I mean, the obvious ones are going to be people like, yeah, Metallica, because, you know, Cliff Burton was, he was a misfits freak. And, and there have been a lot of other people, a lot of punk bands that have got into them, but 
you know, I think of other bands when I think of being the of huge importance. You know, I think of you know, a band we'll get to a little bit later. I think of talking about the Ramones. I think of bands like um, with a little bit more of the the hardcore, the stuff that influenced you know metal bands like Discharge and um, I don't know. But they, but there's no doubt they. I think they did influence, and I think that they clearly did not. It's funny. They're one of those bands, and there are going to be a lot of them like this. That you know, it's like people talk about what a big fan they are and on how much they love them. And it's like the artist like, well, okay, where were you then? And now the Misfits, they, and it sounds like they may keep this going for a while because I read an interview with Glenn Danzig for a while and he said, or a while ago, and he said he loves the fact that they can just, whenever they feel like it, if they want to, he said he doesn't like touring. He said, so if they feel like doing a show, they can go do one. And now they're playing, you know, huge arenas, which is just crazy. But um, no, do you, th- no, do you I, think that makes them lose their punk credibility? No, I don't. Because at this, I mean, that that day is. I mean, they're they're not recording new music, and the way and it's like Glenn said in this interview, they're giving the people a chance that never got a chance to see them, and they can't help that they. I mean, at this point, they I mean they can't go play. I know, I know, CDs is gone, but something comparable to CBs. If they got back to them, they can't go play CBs. You know, they couldn't do that. You know, they can't go play in some little dive rock bar. Way too big for that. So, you know, it's just like a lot of these, a lot of bands that, you know, if they do a reunion tour, they may have had 20 people in for most of their career, but they can do a reunion play in front of thousands because they've just grown over time. Do you think if, let's say they came out today and there had never been anything like the Misfits, do you think they would be as successful? Because I feel like one of the reasons they're successful is there's not a lot of footage of them. The recordings honestly don't aren't aren't of the highest fidelity. They're not good. They're not. You good. know, and like so you you have limited you have you had limited exposure, and it's kind of almost like they're they're a myth, so to speak. Um, man, I don't know. You know, I mean, it, it was, I think, honestly, a lot of those bands, a lot of those punk bands had very little, I mean, they had very little commercial success. And I think a lot of them, if they got back together, okay, if, if for whatever reason, you know, Johnny Ramone's gone, if for whatever reason, if somehow well, just Johnny Ramone's gone, they're, they're all gone, really. Pretty much, but if if they if Johnny if they, the Ramones were able to play a show right now and it'd been all this time had passed, that it'd be a huge show, huge. But they were playing little dive places for most of their career. Yeah. So it's just it, it's the style of music. You know, it's just not gonna be, it's not gonna ever be Taylor Swift. It's not gonna ever blow up. It's not gonna be it's not gonna be the Foo Fighters. Thank God. But anyway, it's not going to be the Foo Fighters. Yet everybody we have on here says they want to be in the Foo Fighters. Man, I, I don't. It wouldn't be. I wouldn't be my choice. Oh, you would take it if it were offered right now. Yeah, but I'm I'm talking about who would I pick, and they wouldn't be who I pick. <laughs> hey, man, at least 
at, at least Casey from Nationaloid, you know, said said Metallica, something other than you know, something <laughs> other than the Foo Fighters. Right. All right, my All fir- right. my first band is one that we obviously are both going to have on our list, and very few bands can say they started an entire genre of music, and Uncle Tupelo did that. Uh, matter of fact, even spawned a magazine called No Depression after their first album, No Depression. Just like you said, the Misfits didn't play to a lot of people. Uncle Tupelo never played to a lot of people. And a lot of times you'll hear these audio recordings of Tweety playing somewhere. And he you know, he is known for his banter with the crowd. And he'll talk about being Uncle Tupelo and everybody will go crazy. And he's like... How many of you have ever been on Uncle Tupelo show, you know, and all these people? And he'll go, "B.S. You aren't there. There was nobody there." Yeah, um, but uh, you know, they, they're the they're the the fathers of uh, alt country, uh, and just really kind of had a big stew pot of influences from like the Minutemen to you know uh, Woody Guthrie uh, to. Um, you know, other country influences. And then, you know, they had some rock sensibilities as well. Um, obviously, they put out um, four albums. And right when they got to the point where they were probably going to become a national act, they self-destructed. And then we got Wilco and Sunvolt from it, which um, are, are both uh, great bands and have put out uh, varying degrees of really good music. But uh, Uncle Tupelo, only around really... Uh, was eighty nine when No Depression came out? Oh God, if Shannon's listening, to this, he's going to kill us. Yeah. Um, I was th- I, I was that. thinking they were basically around like as far as like having a recording contract from like it was about four 80, years eighty nine to like ninety four or something. Yeah, it was like only that. about four years. It was only about four years. So, and yes, um, uh, it's it's, it's eighty nine or ninety. Yeah, so they were about to blow up. They went on the Conan O'Brien show and um, uh, played a song, and then you know they called it quits. I think in like St. Louis, and very very soon thereafter, Wilco and and Sunvolt came up. But of of all the bands we're probably going to talk about today, they probably had the biggest impact on one particular style of music over anybody else. Yeah, I mean they they did really kind of invent a a genre it, with the way that they they did incorporate so many different sounds because yeah, I mean you mentioned Minutemen, which were a big influence. I mean, they were listening to the Leuven Brothers. Um, they covered the Leuven Brothers. You know, you've got uh, I mean, it's all those SST records. You know, coming out of you know you know like the replacements, all those bands coming out of that Minneapolis area all that was an influence on them. So they took that punk, they took those, those country influences, the, the folky influences. Um, and they just blended it. Country, folk, rock, punk, all of it was there. Um, especially on, you know, the first two records, you know, that's where you really hear the punk influences. But then here's the thing. When Anodyne comes out, you know, the last record they put out, that was when you saw, and I guess too with March as well, but Anodyne's when you really started to feel that true alt-country sound. You know, it was less of the punk, and it was more of just the roots, Americana. And, um, 
Yeah, I mean, that album, I really think they could have got big after that album. I really do. And I think the proof is both of their solo, both their next bands, they did hit it big. They just broke up a little bit too soon. And, you know, these, you know, these guys did, they, they influenced so many different people. Um, even if there's Rolling Stone put some, out something recently about Anodyne and, uh, Patterson Hood of the Truckers, he was, he was talking about it. Um, BJ Barham of, of American Aquarium, they were talking about it. So all these guys that are kind of the newer, the newer ones of this sound. I mean, they were given their respects and how much that record means to them, how much that band means to them. But you're right. They didn't, they, they didn't sell a lot of records. They didn't play to big crowds. Nobody really knew who they were. Now people know who they are because, really, mainly, I think, because of, no no disrespect to Sunvolt. I mean, that's Sunvolt I prefer over Wilco, so I'm not disrespecting them. But really, I think a lot in large part because of Wilco's success. They know who they are now. You know, there's a lot of rumblings that at some point we're going to get an Uncle Tupelo show. I think that's very possible. I really do. And that would be an example, David, of what I talked about. Nobody cared back then, but if they did, it would be, they would, I don't know what, what quite what size they would play, but whatever places they played, I would think probably theaters. I would, would I would, I out. would, I would think they could easily do like 1500 seats. That's what I said, theaters. They yeah. would do theaters and they would sell them out. Yeah. All right, Chris, what's your next band? All right. Well, let me go with, um, I'm going to go and. I want to go. Let me, I'm going to touch. It's, it's funny. I'm going to. Well, no, I'll, I'll say this because um, I did hug up of Uncle Tupelo. I'm going to go with. I'll just go ahead and go with uh, since we talked or didn't talk about them. Let me just go and talk about the Ramones real quick since I did mention them. Well, it's been a whole lot of time on them. I just, I just know that um, with what they were doing, they seemed to. They were kind of the. And, and you can tell when you talk about American American punk. Hold on, let me break up the dog so I'm distracting me. When you talk about American punk music, you know you, you can talk about somebody mentioned us all on Facebook, the MC5. Um, that's a great start. You can mention the Stooges, but I think that in the UK, you know, you had the you had the Sex Pistols, and then I feel like in the States we really had it was the Ramones and. What they were doing, those quick, just you know, three-chord songs, I feel like it did open the door to so many bands these days. You know, and, and I'm talking even the ones that are, in particular the bands that you hear that may have big success, like, say, Green Day. Um, I just think that they their impact, I, I said this before, I believe, on this podcast, but but one time... On um, the Dan Patrick show, I remember they were talking about about uh, influence, and the question was asked: Who had the bigger influence? Was it the Ramones, or was it um, or was it Led Zeppelin? And they had Darius Rucker on there, you know, because he's a big, big sports fan. And Seton on the show was saying that it was the Ramones, and Dan Patrick thought he was crazy saying Led Zeppelin. And they asked Darius Rucker when he came on, and he immediately was like, oh, man, the Ramones. He didn't even hesitate. And I agree. 
because I, I, as much as I love Zeppelin, I don't know how much they invented anything. The Ramones truly did invent a sound, just like we were talking about. And that's kind of why I didn't talk about, initially I wasn't going to talk about the Misfits, because I don't know how much they really invented a sound. Whereas I do truly believe that the Ramones created their own sound, their own style that everybody tried to copycat. They laid a blueprint, and I think that's what Uncle Tupelo did. See, I, when I think of the Ramones, I think of all that MTV success they had. You know, I want to be sedated and stuff like that. I felt like I felt like in the early years of MTV, they were really all over all over it. You know, well, I hear Johnny Ramone, and I, I heard he was always people talked about it. Johnny Ramone was almost kind of bitter. It seemed like sometimes because he knew what they did and what they meant, but yet they never got the success. And I mean, it's, it's, it's known that they didn't sell hardly any records. And I think they're kind of one that that's fair of what you're saying, that, that they, they did sell some records, just like you're going to have some on your list that I'll probably say, well, I think they had more success, but I promise you the Ramones did not sell many records. Yeah, I think one of the one of the cooler things that I've gotten to do was go to Lollapalooza in New Orleans in '96 when they were on the bill. And I mean, honestly, when I saw them, all I knew really was, you know, right was at Rock and Roll High School, and I want to be sedated and stuff like that. But they they came on probably halfway uh, through the bill on the main stage, and I just remember, you know, it's New Orleans in July, so it's you know 195 degrees out there, and man, they they were true to form in the black leather and you know i was like oh they've got to be burning up up there but uh it was pretty cool i mean to be able to say i you know saw them so i mean uh they're one that is they're one that like so i just never have sat down honestly and 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 really just said hey i'm gonna give them a fair shake um you know chris sinzak the decibel geek they're one he may like them more than he does kiss uh you know they're one of his favorite bands he really sings their praises you sing their praises and like you said so many people you see interview sing their praises i probably just need to sit down one afternoon when i'm off work and just and just go through a couple of records because not going to take much time because the songs are all two and a half minutes yeah exactly but i think they did kind of you know when i think about the sound that they created though back to bands like um now the dogs are settled to and actually concentrated what i'm saying um I think that they that they did add almost a little bit of that. Though they weren't a pop band, they had a little bit more of that popish type sound that the bands that became like kind of the pop pop bands could really get their you know, influences on and sink their teeth into. Because you know, you look at what was coming out of the UK, the Pistols, um, the Clash, Generation X. That that wasn't really the most poppy stuff. And then you look at what was happening in California, you know, you got Black Flag, uh, Circle Jerks, um, The Germs, uh, Dead Kennedys, all those bands. Yeah, and of course, those bands all pretty much came later after the Ramones, but still, my point being, I think they just kind of laid the groundwork for that kind of sound. Right. Yeah, they, uh, they, they, you're right. They're definitely, uh, you see them mentioned by a ton of, people and it's a collective group of people mentioning them so yeah i'm just going to sit down one afternoon and 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 go through three or four of their albums all right my next one i'm going to stick in that alt country genre a little bit and just talk a little bit about whiskey town um which uh 
It was Ryan Adams' first band, and then uh, what was the female? And was her name Caitlin Gary? Is that um, right? If Caitlin's the first, yeah, name, Caitlin. Sure. Anyway, my, our apologies to her. Uh, they Caitlin Carey, yeah, yeah, Caitlin Carey, yeah. So they they had three proper releases, and everything I've ever read, and, and hopefully we'll get a lot more information on it because Ryan Adams does have a book coming out. I think um, their tours were just a complete train wreck. Uh, they would wind up getting in fights, people leaving, quitting mid-tour. And so Ryan and Caitlin, I think, were the only constants. But um, whereas Uncle Tupelo, um, you know, played on a lot of different influence, uh, played their music, had a lot of different influences. Whiskey Town did, but not, not as much as Uncle Tupelo. But the reason I listed them was because they took it more into... Oh, maybe you'll understand what I'm saying, Chris. They took their music into more of kind of like a uh, beer-soaked bar band type style, you know, melding it with some country uh, sensibilities. But then they would have songs that were just straight-up rockers. And then some songs, you know, like, uh, especially some of the songs on like, uh, not Faithless Street, Jacksonville uh, Skyline, you know, that were really just, you know, you had a a fiddle in it, you know, or very, very country. Um, And I think some of the songs are some of Adam's best work. Um, they were a little more, um, whereas his solo, I don't know where his solo stuff is kind of all over the place. They, they, it was a little more focused and it would be interesting to see what they would sound like had they all been able to control their, their demons and, and get together. But they, they influenced the second wave of a lot of those bands that, that came out from like, I'm sure, uh, you know, American Aquarium. They, I'm sure they cite Whiskey Town as an influence, uh, and it's one of those ones where you know people list fit, Whiskey Town as one of their favorite bands. But when Whiskey Town was around, nobody knew about them. There's no doubt that they didn't get success, and people don't know about them. I, I won't dispute that for a second. The only thing, I guess, if I had any kind of dispute, was I don't know. I, I can't say. I mean, I'm sure they influence people, but I don't know if it, them. I don't really hear them brought up a lot. That's the only thing. Like I said, I, I don't dispute that they did. I just don't hear it a ton. Well, I think I think their music was a little bit easier to get into in in the beginning than some of the Uncle Tupelo stuff. Like if you got that March album from Uncle Tupelo, which I know everybody loves, but I mean that's not as easy to sink your teeth into as like uh, you know Strangers Almanac. It's probably not for somebody, maybe it's, I don't know, because it's so easy for me, and it probably was the first one that I fell in love with of theirs, but maybe if you didn't really listen to a lot of country coming up. Right. Maybe that's what it is, and, and, I, and I did embrace the country, you know, the old country, even, even at a younger age, I embraced old classic country, and so maybe that's why it was more accessible to me. All right, Chris, who's your next one? Well, I'm going to go with one that this is another one that I think can kind of fall in to that line where they did have success, but it was very limited. And that's going to be the replacements. Um, I mean, they had songs. I mean, people know, they know Alex Chilton. They know um, Can't Hardly Wait. I mean, Can't Hardly Wait was even in a, in a movie by the same name. They... Um, so they did have, they did have some success, but I, I don't think it was near the impact that they had. And that's kind of the point of this, of what we're doing this. And 
Yeah, I mean, a lot of the, they, they kind of fall into this one one of these bands where a lot of the people that that we love, you know, they were one of their big big influences. Um, Whiskey Town and Uncle Tupelo have both cited them as big influences. Brian Fallon, the Gaslight Anthem, he he said they were a big influence. That's one of Patterson Hood's favorite bands. Yeah, so I know that they influenced a whole lot of bands, and. They're another one of those bands too that was just that supposedly you don't really think about it just when you hear songs like you know like can't hardly wait and bastards are young and you know, subway and all those kind of songs maybe you don't hear it in their music but that was supposedly one rowdy hell raising band just a super self destructive band um, who knows maybe that played into some of their not becoming as big as they they should have but that's one that. You know, sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll use, I'll say this about the, you know, whoever your hero is in modern music, that the replacements were probably at least one of the people you love, unless you only listen to stuff like, you know, Britney Spears and, you know, and NSYNC and all that and Justin Timberlake, unless you, unless you listen to that kind of stuff. And one of your bands was probably influenced by them. Well, they were the Northern version of REM. Yeah, that's that sounds like a good comparison. Yeah, and I mean, basically, like REM blew out of that college, you know, kind of little college niche they were in, and became one of the biggest bands in the world. And the replacements didn't. And they recorded an album not far from where you are. Did they record it, Ardent? I thought they did. I thought well, that's where because uh, 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 Luther Dickinson's dad. Um, produced it their third um the one with uh, i think it was the one with skyway on it yeah i mean I, I don't i don't doubt that they would have i mean it's just because so many people have recorded that artist right you know it's, it's so many people that you don't even know of have recorded that artist i mean well, yeah cool when you think of the history well it, it was like um i don't think it was necessarily ardent but i thought it was cool like probably about a month ago basically within a mile or so of each other you had uh, Mick Jagger, Jerry Lee Lewis, the Drive-By Truckers, and Chris Robinson all uh, at different studios there in Memphis. So if you're ever in Memphis, go uh, go check out Sun Studios, and Stax, and um, Arden, and um, it's a lot going on there. Well, Chris, my next one, uh, unfortunately, is <clears throat> died not too far from where you are. Uh, that would be Jeff Buckley. Now... I picked some bands necessarily that I'm not just huge fans of, and, and, and my knowledge on him is is not a lot. I mean, uh, probably the biggest thing I know about him was he sang Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah, and he dried, uh, died uh, swimming in the Mississippi River uh, in Memphis. But he, you're talking about like the bands that you listen to are probably going to cite the replacements. I feel like here in the last ten years just about everybody that's a singer songwriter and even people that are just in bands go back to him as an influence. And, and he wasn't around, I think he was 30 when he died. And I know a lot of stuff has come out that was released after he died, but I uh, put out one record though. Yeah. But you just Probably see, you just see so many people uh, mention him uh, as an influence or they'll say like, who are you listening to? And he's like, oh, I've been listening to a lot of Jeff Buckley. So I thought uh, he was a fair one. Um, to um to put out there and his circumstances for not being big were vastly different than pretty much everybody else we're going to talk to yeah and he and i don't i i think you're right on him he he does i mean vocally anyway 
influenced so many people. And I, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, it's just crazy. Decided to go. Who, if you've ever seen the Mississippi River, especially as far south as Memphis, it's not something you would want to jump into. No, I mean right around uh, around the Memphis area, the Mississippi is. uh, It's very fast moving. I mean, if you go look at it, it, you don't want any part of it. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know. I don't. Has it ever even said if, if anybody knew that he was on anything? I haven't I haven't seen that. I mean logic would tell you a yes, clear thinking person's not gonna go jump in the Mississippi River, especially that's, if they can see it. That's what I'm thinking, you know. I, I don't wanna pass judgment, but I would say that there's probably a good shot, a good chance that he did. But I don't oh. know. Well Chris, what's your next one? Well, let's go with I'm gonna just go with one of the biggest ones as far as influence and this this is probably the best example of big influence. And virtually no commercial success. Like we're touching on some that may have had a little. They had zero, and that's Velvet Underground. And they, I mean, probably one of the most covered bands of all time. And you know the replacements. We were just talking about them. Well, the replacements were influenced by them. REM was influenced by them. And I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And one thing I did, I, I just looked at a couple of things on here. Um, so Bono said, every song we've ever written was a ripoff of a Lou Reed song. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that kind of says something there. And then, of course, the uh, your REM has covered you know, L Blue Eyes, Femme Fatale, There She Goes, three of them. You know, so that, and I think that they were one of the bands that got... Um, he and Peter Buck, where they kind of hit it off so well when they first met. And then, of course, the greatest quote that most people have heard, you know, if they're big music dorks like we are, but Brian Eno said, the first Velvet Underground album only sold 10,000 copies, but everyone who bought it formed a band. <laughs> and I think what, I think the cool thing about the Velvet Underground is, and, you know, we weren't alive at this time, so I, we, I'm probably talking out of my ass here, but just bear with me. I think that back then, you think of the bands that were popular. You know, everybody from the Beatles to the Stones to the Animals to the Kinks. I mean, great, great singers. I mean, good bands, um, a lot of them really good musicians, but great, great singers. Well, the Velvet Underground, they weren't necessarily great musicians, and Lou Reed certainly couldn't sing. Mm-mm. And I think he kind of gave hope to everybody that, well, if he can do it, I, I can. And I've read people that have said that before, that they heard Lou Reed and like, well, if he can do it, I guess I can too. And it seems like, I, don't hold me to this, but it seems like he, maybe somebody big said it, like maybe, maybe it was Iggy. Somebody big said that. It's like, well, he can't sing, so I can't let that stop me. And um, didn't stop Metallica. I, no. <laughs> so they're, I just their influences. They're probably of the people we're going to name. They're one of the, if not the biggest influence of a band that didn't have big success. It's probably the best example. They're another one that I just haven't set down. 
and just listen to a ton. I know that Loaded, is it Loaded? Is that the name of one of their albums? Yeah, that's a really good one. Yeah. That, that may be my favorite one. Well, you're talking about like they get covered a lot. They get covered a lot in the jam band scene. I know um, Fish and the Black Crows and My Morning Jacket uh, have, all play um, Oh Sweet Nothing pretty routinely. Um, you know, you have Sweet Jane. Well, so many people have done that. Uh, there's a great version at one of those Rock and Roll Hall of Fame concerts of Metallica playing that with Lou Reed. That's unfortunately what spawned Lulu. But Wasn't it the Cowboys Junkies that did uh, that version of Sweet Jane that was so, so good? That was just so doped. It was like very doped up sounding. Yeah, it was. Yeah, the, I think it was the Cowboy Junkies. That yeah, that. yeah. That's a great cover. Well, for the for the longest, when I was younger, for the longest time, I thought that was, they were the ones that wrote it. Um, yeah. You're right, though. When you start looking, reading a lot of the bands we like, it's more than not they're going to say uh, the Velvet Underground. Another great song of theirs was Heroin. I like that one. Um, and then you know one of the more recognizable album covers of all time. Uh, and you know, and they were they were involved with the whole Andy Warhol scene, and mm-hmm. you had Nico and. Uh, I, I need to. That's another one. I need to sit down and just. Uh, I think. I think I'm gonna start with Loaded and just sit down and just really take that in because. Yeah, I would go with Loaded and Nico. Those would be definitely the two that I would. I would. I would start with those. And um, anybody listening to this, if you just kind of want to understand just a little bit more about the, if you are interested in the Velvet Underground, not just the music, but just kind of a little bit of the history of it. And we've talked about, you know, the Ramones. I. I briefly mention Iggy and the Stooges, the MC5. If if you're interested in any of that kind of stuff, read the book called Please Kill Me. It's about that scene. They, they touch in the early part a lot in Detroit with MC5 and Iggy and all that. Of course, Iggy eventually became a part of the New York scene. But if you want to read about that, it's, it's, the book is put together just with quotes of all these different people. And it's, it's a really, really good read. And they talk about all that, the, the Velvet Underground with with um, with with um, Andy Warhol and it's it's a it's a really cool book. Probably one of the more popular music books out there. Yeah, so go check out Velvet Underground. I am. I'm gonna start with Loaded probably this weekend. All right. So my last two um, are probably gonna be met with some eye rolling going on, but I'll, I'll get to. I'll explain it. My first one is gonna be the band Mountain. Now. My knowledge of Mountain doesn't go a whole lot further than uh, Mississippi Queen, which is obviously a huge, huge song. When you think of classic 70s arena rock songs, that's one of the ones that uh, pops into my mind. But the the reason I mentioned them is that kind of seems to be what everybody knows of them. But Leslie, primarily I mentioned them because of Leslie West, guitar player. Uh, just a fabulous guitar player. And man, when you see his name pop up all over the place, when people start talking about their influences and I was reading it, saw an interview with him and he's like, Slash came up to him one time. He said, I still can't play the intro to Mississippi Queen. How did you get that tone? How did you make that happen? And so, um, while I'm sure they, they had a, a, a decent amount of success because that song was so big. I just feel like they're not a band that people think about really anymore, but, uh, you know, like Warren Haynes and a lot of those people really, really looked up to Leslie West and, and respected him. And so I decided to list them just because you see, particularly Leslie West mentioned so much, but I don't really know of his output, 
output other than that. So for that reason, um, uh, I'm going to list uh, the band Mountain, in particular uh, Leslie West. Yeah, I mean they're ones that I would I would say, and, and that's the only reason I'd say is just because they had such a big song that's still a big still a big one today, mm-hmm. but. I mean, you do make a fair point that it's like nobody really knows the name Mountain. If you tell, if you talk to the average person on the street, I mean, it's in our not even not even somebody that's twenty. Talk to somebody our our average, just the average person our age, and they're probably not going to know who Mountain is. Right. Probably. You know, they're not going to know the name of the band. So, I mean, they weren't, and, and I do think Leslie Wells was. Leslie West was a influential. He was influential as a player for sure. Mm-hmm. Yep, for sure. I know Ozzy Osbourne was a big fan of him. Um, I think Ozzy's even covered Mississippi Queen before. Yeah, terrible. <laughs> I, I don't really like. The, I don't really like the song anyway. If I'm being honest. Um, but, I kind of like. I like the intro to it, but I, I'll agree with you. I think it, it is a cool sound. That is yeah. a cool guitar sound. Um, okay, I'm gonna go with. Um, I'm gonna go with um, Big Star, another one that it's funny. A lot, it's so weird when I was putting together this list. A lot of the bands that I named, they all kind of influenced each other. It seems like, and they all had the same, like REM. It seems like it was influenced by, you know, Big Star, Velvet Revolver, and I'm Velvet Underground. I don't know how the hell that happened, but they were influenced by Big Star and the Velvet Underground, and then you have Uncle Tupelo that I'm sure had REM influences, Velvet Underground, all that. So they're all just kind of a lot of these are tied together, but Big Stars, Memphis band, um, and that's one that I would say the only bit of success they have is that that song. It's not exactly the same, but the song that's on that that '70s show is a Big Star song, and that's probably about the only thing anybody would ever have heard of Big Star, and they. Uh, they did, as far as I know, they did get the name from the from the old grocery store, Big Star. Uh, I, I don't know if that was, uh, I don't know how big of a chain that was, if that was just local. I'm really not sure of that. But Big Star was still around when I was coming up as a kid. They had a different logo, but their logo was the, the logo that Big Star used was the original Big Star grocery logo. At least that's what I have been told. Um very influential band, like I said, big star influence. REM, The Replacements. I'm sure all these bands, Soul Asylum. I mean, it's just kind of it's kind of endless the bands that I think they they influence. Um, I've tried to get into them. Um, I honestly don't see what the fuss is about. Listen, to, if if there's if there's ever one song ever to just listen to, at least listen to September Girls. Okay. God, that's a good song um and the bangles did a really really good cover of that too it's um it's not uh susanna hoff that sings it it's one of the other girls mm-hmm. but susanna hoff just does backing vocals on it you ought, to, you ought to check that out just um i don't know if that's on an album of theirs i, I know i've seen it on youtube but, so go on youtube and check it out it's really good cover but but um I do like a lot of their songs and I, I understand that I can hear how a band, especially REM, I can hear how they were influenced by a band like Big Star. You know, and the cool, cool thing is where you never really got into Velvet Underground. I mean, Alex Chilton could sing. 
Yeah, you know, and, I'll, I'll and, give and, you and that. He was, he was in the box tops, you know, that's on the yeah, letter. Yeah, So a lot of people don't know that's Alex Chilton. He was like 16 um, or 17, wasn't he? He was real young. I know that. Yeah, he was real young. But, yeah, a lot of people don't even realize that that's the, that's the same guy. So, I mean, geez, he had more success out of the box tops than he did Big Star. But, yeah, again, no success, but big impact. They were another band that was, they were kind of wild too, weren't they? I don't know. I don't. You know, one thing is kind of cool. I, I don't know why I just thought of this at random, but sometime when you're in Memphis, we ought to just go, um, I don't even know if the food's any good. We ought to just go sit at the bar and just talk to, because it's just going to be a total local place. But right off of um, 40 and Perkins, right around Summer Avenue, there's mm-hmm. a uh, there's a restaurant called Mortimer's. And I was in there one time, and I just saw Big Star stuff everywhere. I'm like, what is the deal with this? And um, one of the one of the members um, wasn't Stevens, and it wasn't Chilton, but one of the members, I believe it's his sister, is the owner of that restaurant. Yeah, well, so there's a there's a ton of big star stuff in there. I've heard of it. Yeah, we'll have to go check that out. That'd be cool. All right, Chris. All right. My last one is one that uh, if people want to say this isn't valid, I'll I'm not going to argue against them, but I'll try to explain it. And I'm going my last one I'm going to go with is Jane's Addiction. And the reason I say little success, big impact, a lot of their success has been kind of retro. Uh, when they were um, um, together originally. Now, you know, they did do Lollapalooza, but it was like the first year and it it was, you know, it was not the juggernaut that it would go on to uh to become. But uh, whereas in the early 80s you had everybody listening to, you know, REM that was in a band. I feel like in the uh very very late 80s and early 90s just about anybody that was listening to a uh, uh kind of an underground band it was going to be Jane's Addiction. And they came out of L.A. and they came out of L.A. at a time when everybody was poison and, uh, you know, L.A. guns. But they didn't they didn't go that route. It's kind of hard to pigeonhole a lot of their music. You know, Perry uh, Farrell um, had kind of, a, you know, a different voice, you know, different sounding voice. And, you know, they had some kind of quirky song titles. And Dave Navarro created like this, like, wall of sound with... Um, uh, his guitar playing and the drummer. Uh, gosh, I'm drawing a blank on his name. Is it Stephen Perkins? That sounds right. Man, he he could play. And the, they their last album that they released was um, uh, Ritual uh, De La Habitual, and uh, you know kind of had a controversial album cover on it, but had uh, been caught stealing. And that video was huge on MTV. And I know they sold a decent amount of records, but then. I don't I don't know really what happened, but Perry goes on and forms a porno for pyros, and Navarro gets his whole body tattooed and winds up in the Red Hot Chili Peppers for a hot minute. Catch that a hot minute. Yeah. Uh, and uh, but I feel like after that, their 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 legacy grew, and I feel like a lot of their album sales were in the later nineties when you had all these bands saying they were listening to Jane's addiction. And for a while they were just kind of the cool, the cool indie thing, because like I said, they were from LA, but they weren't doing what other LA bands um, were doing. And then I think 
you know, they were, they had the song on Entourage, uh, which I think was a big deal. And a lot of people, hey, that's a cool song. Who is that? It's Jane's Addiction. And I remember um, uh, it was back when MTV used to actually do things uh, that involved music. And Carson Daly was saying if there if his apartment caught on fire and there was only one album he could get out, it was uh, Nothing Shocking by Jane's Addiction. But I just feel like for the amount of press that they get and got back then, their album sales, uh, don't feel like we're on par with that. Now, I realize now when you go and look, you can see they have sold a lot of albums, but they didn't sell near that many when they were actually a functioning band with their original members. I don't know how much the all of them sold. I would imagine Ritual Deal Vigil sold pretty well. You know, I don't know about the other ones because you're right. That was a big, that was a pretty big MTV hit. I'm not going to crap on the pick. It, you know, the influence is there. You know, I just from my own point, I probably would have said they sold a little bit too much to be included in that. But, you know, it's your opinion, you know, so I, I respect that. Did, were you a big fan of them? No, you know, not, not and not against them either. It, um, I like some of their stuff, and I, I like the way that that um, Navarro had just to, in addition to just not being that LA glam sound, Navarro had a different, just a totally different style of playing. You know, it, it was funky, almost jazzy sounding. Um, and I think he did open the doors for a lot. And I think he was kind of, you could probably make an argument that they were probably starting to help. I'd say them along with the red hot chili peppers were probably kind of starting to change a bit. Some of these bands that were still a bit glam, but because as that all fell apart, they got cast out and thrown out with all those bands, but they never really got a fair shake. And the bands I'm talking about, I would say somebody like a Bang Tango or, um, uh, geez, what's the love hate bands like that, that had a little bit of funk element. It's like, they were kind of combining what was coming from that glam with a little bit more of that, you know, Jane's addiction sound. And so I think that they were making an impact on that. I, I got to believe they were a big impact for those bands like like Love Hate that just were a little bit different. You know, they just didn't sound like they didn't sound like Poison. But they had long hair, they were talented musicians and they were just enough of that LA glam stuff to just destroy them when that tidal wave called Nirvana rolled in. Yeah. Yeah, I I I'm, I kind of go back and forth with them. Um sometimes I get in you know, these habits where I'll listen to Nothing Shocking a lot. And then uh, I actually, and I like the one that they did, the album Strays. Um, I thought it was a pretty good album. When it came out, I listened to it a lot. But yeah, for a long time there, that, that was kind of the cool thing was to say, you know, you were a fan of Jane's Addiction and wear one of their t-shirts. Yeah. All right, Chris, we're right, we're, we're, we're getting near the end. What do you have left? Um. You know, I've hit most of the main ones I wanted to hit. There's a couple I won't really dwell on much. I'm just going to mention a couple. Um, I'm going to say Husker Du, because I do, I, I believe with that post-punk sound that they did, I know they're a big influence. If for nothing else, they influenced Greg Dooley of the Afghan Wigs, which, hey, man, that's enough for me. Um, I, I think New York Dolls, they really didn't sell, you know, anything. And you got to think, without them, 
And I know there's some other bands that, you know, like you know, the Sweet and, and some of those bands that the that they were bands like Motley Crue and all these that we're listening to. But I feel like I feel like New York Dolls, they were the very, very first ones that I mean they were they were more punk than they were you know, sleazy glam, but they were a combo. They were kind of sleazy punk glam and dressing in drag. It was just, I believe they really, really influenced all these bands that came out of LA. You know, so and they, they didn't sell anything. And and now, think about all these people from that, you know, anybody from, whether it's, whether it's Nikki Six or you know, or Duff McKagan. Duff, yeah, Duff McKagan. Any of these bands now that man, they love the New York Dolls. Um, Gilby Clark, I know, is a big Dolls fan. All these guys were really big into them. Um, but you know, back then, I doubt very few people knew who they were. Uh, and again, they're another band that's talked a lot of extensively in that "Please Kill Me" book. But and. Um, and hey, the thing and, they, is, and they produced Buster Poindexter. Yeah, yeah. Don't hold. Don't. That's not the New York Dolls. That's not their fault. Um, and really, you could even take a spin off of that and say Johnny Thunders was a huge, huge influence, but little, little commercial success. Especially, really no commercial especially success. for Duff McKagan. Yeah, I mean, he well, Mike Ness. That's one of his heroes. You know, um, he's come out to Johnny Thunder songs before. He recently did that. Um, Johnny Thunders the the tribute they were doing out in LA where they did some big tribute show. Mike Ness was on that. He was on vocals for, I think the whole show. So it, it's, um, yeah, they're, they're one that made a, I think made a huge, huge imprint on the landscape of music, but nobody knew they were. And the other thing is to, that put on that first New York dolls record. If you've never listened to it, it's good. I mean, it really is good. It's not one of those ones that's just like, oh, well, I'm supposed to say I like the New York Dolls. No, it's good. It's good music. And even better, put on So Alone by Johnny Thunders. It's better than the Dolls record. Um, last couple I'll mention, uh, just just as honorable mention, of course, bringing up the Stooges. I've already talked about them a couple of times. Somebody on, um, I saw on, on the Facebook post you put on, mentioned MC5. We, I briefly mentioned them. I agree with that. And, um, one that I thought about a little bit too when I was kind of making my list, I thought about the Melvins because when I think about what Nirvana did, how they changed the whole landscape of music and they made that big impact, but they had all the success in the world. Well, it was young little t- teenage Kurt Cobain that was falling around Buzz Osborne like a little, just a little puppy soaking up every bit of the thing he could get from him. Um, huge huge influence on on Kurt Cobain with the Melvins and I believe just a huge influence on that whole entire scene somebody mentioned Mud Honey on there and I think the Melvins influenced Mud Honey I mean all those bands I believe I, I just look at them as kind of like the Godfathers that started that and then the last one I just think I think deserves mentioning because somebody posted on Facebook and I thought they make a really good point they mentioned the Flying Burrito Brothers and Graham Parsons, and we're talking all about Uncle Tupelo, and I really do believe they deserve, they are the forefathers. But kind of like we always say Nirvana, or I always say Uncle Tupelo is to alt-country 
what Nirvana is to grunge. Well, without Flying Burrito Brothers, maybe you don't have Uncle Tupelo. Without the Melvins, maybe you don't have Nirvana. And that's how I'll wrap it up. Oh, yeah, I like Flying Burrito Brothers and, and Graham Parsons. Um, you know, Graham had a lot of influence on the Stones, on that Exile on Main Street album. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, and some of those other things. Um, man, just weird, you know, his... He dies and his manager steals his body and goes and buries him in Joshua Tree, uh, California, out in the desert. Uh, yeah, one of those uh, fine burritos guys is a Mississippi guy. So uh, he died recently, I think. But uh, yeah, anyway, yeah, I love Flying Burrito Brothers. Um, they didn't, their output wasn't a whole lot, but um, uh, I like them. And, uh, and that Sin City that they did, you know, that Uncle Tupelo. Cover, right. They're, they're, that original version of Sin City is so good. Well, that the the limited output that Parsons had with the Birds was really good. The Sweetheart of the Rodeo album, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, he he was he was before his time. Well, Chris, this was uh, this was a fun one, one of our shorter ones, uh, which is okay. Uh, Chris and I already have uh, our next three podcasts laid out uh, over the in December. I think we're we'll probably be able to get three or four in, and uh, we'll try to be a little more regular. Uh, with getting these podcasts out instead of kind of sporadic as we've been. Uh, I do want to ask you to follow us on Twitter at Digital Killed, like our Facebook page, uh, follow us on Instagram, and then subscribe uh, basically wherever you get your podcast from. Uh, Chris, uh, I enjoyed it. Hope you have a happy Thanksgiving and get your belly full. And I uh, hope everybody out there has a happy Thanksgiving, and we will talk to you soon. Take care.